Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 74. It is March 3rd. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. We are back from Florida. It was a great trip, and uh, as a result of that trip, we're going to talk about auction strategy and what we did in our respective auctions this weekend. Eno competed in the AL-only labor auction on Saturday night. I was in the NL-only auction on Friday night. Uh, so now that our teams are, are safely assembled, we can talk about what we did, what went right, what went wrong, uh, and hopefully pass along some ideas as your own auctions come up here in the next few weeks. Uh, if you're listening to the show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take the time to do that. We really appreciate it. And if you're listening to the show for the very first time, you can get a subscription to The Athletic at 40% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You know, how was your trip back from Tampa? Was it uneventful? Yeah, for the most part. I watched a, a mediocre movie, uh, Gemini Man, and um, yeah, that was, oh, I got a little bit of work done, I guess. Success. That's a good flight, right? Like you, you watch a bad movie or a mediocre movie yeah, and uh, just get a little work done. It's about as much as you can ask for. Uh, I got Stroop Waffle. United has the Stroop Waffle uh, that they offer, so I was uh, I, was pretty excited I about that. I denigrate Stroop Waffles. Really? I am I am not for the Stroop Waffle. How could you possibly be against them? They're bland, what? and they're just calories. That's how I when I'm eating a Stroop Waffle, I'm like, this is I'm wasting calories. Hmm. That's how I feel. All right. I love them. I think they're delicious. <laughs> calories well spent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This partnership may no longer work. That, oh, uh, is that serious? Okay. <laughs> I'm the guy that's buying the, the 70 pack of Stroop waffles at Costco. Oh, my God. Seriously? Yeah, yeah it's my heritage. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, well, hey, at least you get your heritage right. I got I got marzipan wrong, apparently. <laughs> I got uh, wooden I shoes. Sure that marzipan was hazelnuts, but yeah. I, I got. I got I got Nutella right, man. That's 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 hazelnut. Yes, Nutella is definitely hazelnut. So I didn't know what marzipan was. I had no idea that you were wrong. Germans bleed Nutella for the most part. Italians too, um, I'm told. Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's big there. Let's talk about our auctions. Uh, Ale yeah, only auction. Let's. <laughs> we'll, we'll lead off with your team, and you you gave me some ideas as to what you wanted to do, and you talked a lot about pitching, especially the late pitching you were thinking about rounding out the roster. You had a few decision trees. We talked about decision trees on our draft strategy show that we recorded in Florida on Friday. And the auction is like the ultimate decision tree because you have so much flexibility over what you can accomplish. You can employ a few different strategies that sometimes are just completely unviable when it comes to uh, a snake draft. Like You just kind of get boxed into a corner where you can't pull off the combinations you want. So as you set out to build this team, what was your initial strategy that you finally landed on? Because I imagine it changed even a couple of times from when we last spoke about it prior to the auction on Saturday night. Yeah, in terms of pitching, I pretty much did what I wanted to do. I could have written down this staff in pen before I got to the auction board, and I pretty much got who I wanted. I, the names aren't exactly right. But I wanted to get two starters for about 40 bucks instead of Garrett Cole for 40 because I just didn't like a lot of the $1 starting pitching options. I didn't want to have a lot of those guys on my roster. So 
I got Jose Barrios and Jesus Lazardo in my plans. It was like Barrios and Carrasco, but Carrasco's hip injury was kind of on my mind. Uh, there were a couple other guys that I was hoping to slot in there that kind of kept getting pushed for a dollar. And I know Jesus Lazardo is not a guarantee for a lot of innings, uh, and neither is the guy behind him, Lance McCullers. Um, so I got some pushback on Twitter about how risky my my staff is. But to me, uh, the back end of my staff, uh, John Means and Spencer Cronball in particular, uh, who I got for a combined $8, they're not very risky. I don't think that they're necessarily going to be stars. I mean, in my rankings, they're like sort of around 75, 80. But there's no reason to limit their innings for the most part. There are things to that you could see them tweaking and being better. Uh, so I kind of see them as guys who are going to give me 150 innings plus and probably around a 4-2 ERA or something. But maybe they surprise us a little bit. Turnbull's throwing a little bit harder. He's got a lot of pitches. If he tweaks one of those pitches, they could have success there. Means is throwing a curveball. If he has a curveball slider and that Marco Estrada change, uh, he could be better. He could get past the fifth and get you know a few wins maybe. So I kind of thought Barrios to me is one of the safest uh, health-wise. I don't know I just doomed him. Um, but, uh, that I thought was like a high floor in terms of innings and health. And then, uh, he showed up in my command stuff as one of the very few pitchers that had both, uh, elite stuff and command. So I thought of him as high floor and high ceiling and relatively safe. And that's why I, that allowed me to take the shots at Luzardo and McCullers, uh, who I think will probably get, maybe 250, 275 innings combined. Uh, but these days, you know, nobody's throwing innings. The only thing that was weird for me on the pitching staff was I didn't expect to get Liam Hendricks for 17, but I didn't really want to go to Chapman, who went for 21, and I didn't really like the, the $15 options. So if I hadn't done Hendricks, I would have done, like, LeClerc and somebody else, and I might have spent... Um, I might have spent my money better to, to spread the risk around it. I see somebody has LeClerc and Colomay for $20 combined. I have Liam Hendricks and Aaron Bummer for 23 combined. Uh, I, I could see preferring the LeClerc combo. But um, in general, I love my staff. Um, and I even did a modified Derek Cardi in reserves. Uh, Derek Cardi over in the NL usually has pretty much all reserve pitchers and uses those dollar, those $0 pitchers to kind of stream. Um, I didn't want to do that fully because I had a sub, couple holes on offense that I wanted to maybe be able to patch. Uh, but I got Logan Allen, Huli Chassin, and Carl Edwards. And Michael Fulmer is one of my dollar pitchers, so I'm going to DL Fulmer. And um, you look at Chassin and Allen's early matchups. If Allen's playing at home against a bad team or Chassin's playing in, in cold Minnesota against a bad team, uh, they'll be in. And if not, I've got a relatively safe Carl Edwards, uh, who I like. So uh, and I think he might be the favorite, actually, for, for saves there now that Matt uh, McGill is hurt. So pitching staff I like. Hitting staff, I feel like I made some mistakes. I, I think your pitching staff is good. And I think the kind of counterintuitive place I've come to with Lance McCullers in particular, a, a particular set of skills that's pretty good, but also problematic because of the workload, that worries me a lot less in a very deep format where the threshold of innings you need per active roster spot goes down so much. I mean, the 
Lance McCullers' 120 to 130 inning workload seems very likely. At $10 in this league, I think you can be fine. I think you could actually be a little bit profitable here. And I'm not as worried. Those innings are good, right? Yeah, especially if those innings are good. You can cycle in a reliever if they IL him for the occasional break or if they were to option him just to you know control his innings that way, send him down, not really use him, bring him back up. You can stream your, your Carl Edwards Jr. You can throw in Logan Allen if he's up. You just have a few different ways you can attack it. Chassin potentially helps you out. But I, I think it's totally fine to go after McCullers in a league this deep. I think it becomes a lot more problematic to roster him in 12 and, and 15 team mixed leagues and try to hold on to him all season long because of all those uh, workload related issues that we've talked about and the uncertainty as far as how exactly those innings come together. So the same kind of principles hold true for Lizardo. So I, I do like the way your staff came together. It is, as you said, it really is to a name, especially in the bottom half. It's all the guys you were hoping to get at the prices you were hoping to get them. I have said many times, Aaron Bummer is one of my favorite closers in waiting. You know, the White Sox are a much improved team this year, and I'm just very skeptical of Alex Colomay holding on to that job all season long. Uh, and if Barrios goes, I think he he is an ace in an only league. He's probably a great SP2 for most mixed leagues. I think he does have a very high floor. Being on the Twins, he gets to face the other four teams in that division. So everything just lines mm-hmm. up so favorably for him this year. Uh, I, I definitely like the idea of building a staff around him. I mean, Hendricks at 17 probably is your your most risky pitching buy of all. I think there's actually more risk with him than there is with Lizardo and McCullers, oh. just from a, a pure like skill standpoint, pop right? Up, like pop up guy that got velocity out of nowhere. If that velocity goes away, they've got Trevino. You know, there's there's um, yeah, that one. I don't even know what happened. Like I blacked out or something. <laughs> I feel like I do that for for five hours for auctions sometimes too. <laughs> yeah. I wake up and I'm like, that's what I did. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but. By the way, we're going to post a link to both of these auction boards in the show description. So on your device, if you look at the show notes, you can just tap on that link and actually uh, check out these results. Look at what Eno did. Look what other teams did in the AL. Do the same with mine with the NL once we get to that. Why do you feel like you messed up the hitters? Like, What was your plan going in with the bats, and, and how did you fail to live up to your own expectations, I guess, in that regard? Well, I, I failed to implement uh, one key part of my decision tree stat- strategy, which was to throw Rafael Devers before Jose Ramirez. And the, the reason I was going to do that was I would have to know a little bit more about what I'm going to do about steals if I take Devers versus Ramirez. But I had them as very comparable in dollar values. So, you know, if Devers is going to be cheaper, then I would have saved some dollars to spend later. And that ended up kind of filtering through, you know, kind of creating the other mistakes that I made, I think. So, um, you know, by not throwing Devers first, who went for 30, I threw Ramirez first, who went for 35. So there's $5 I've left on the table, basically. And those $5, you know, they don't seem like that big a deal at first. And you're like, ooh, I got the steals that I wanted, and yay. Um, and that's great. I think my team is, like, actually for once uh, not projected to be bottom of the pack in steals. But the other things I was worried about were was second base. And there came to a point on Brandon Lau, uh, who went for $12 and was like sort of at the, the peak of what my numbers said. 
And because I didn't have those $5, I didn't go to 13 or 14 on Brandon Lau. And I wish I had because I ended up with Tony Kemp as my second baseman. And I kind of flash back to what you were doing when you needed a second baseman last year. And the thing that just I, I told myself was keep calm. You know, keep calm. Shedlong went for like 10 bucks. And in my value sheet, he was like a six. And Shedlong was like the last second baseman I wanted. And I said, just don't do it. Keep calm. Keep calm. And I think Tony Kemp is going to win a lot, like the larger part of the at-bats there at second base. And my backup plan, it's not a very good one, but Daniel Robertson is a, uh, a, an injury away from playing a lot in, in Tampa. Uh, and he's in my reserves. And, uh, you know, just hope that maybe, um, you know, somebody else on my roster plays at second base, like Jose Ramirez, if he went back to second base, I would love that. Or uh, Gurriel Jr., if there's a BGO injury, I don't know. Uh, but, um, you know, if there is a second baseman that becomes available in trade or uh, on, on FAB, that'll be definitely a focus for me, um, other than saves. Uh, but one thing, uh, those are the things I don't like. I think maybe Hunter Dozier for 15. If I, I'd rather have Brandon Lau for 14 um, and, uh, you know, be able to go shopping. Because I got Heimer Candelario for $3 at the end, and he could have been my corner infielder. So you give me Brandon Lau uh, for 14 even, that gives me $3 to go get a util of any sort, you know, with no positional value uh, instead of Heimer Candelario. So... Uh, you know, you see how these things compound, you know, it's like one little decision at the beginning, uh, you know, you're $5 short, so you don't go all the way on Brandon Lau. So then do, 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 do. Um, so I, I see flaws in my hitting and, um, I really wish I wasn't staring at Tony Kemp at second base, but if I get lucky there, that's the kind of, that's the kind of one, if I get lucky and he plays like 500 ABs and steals, uh, you know, 25 bags and, and hits five. Like I got my $2 back. I got like a viable starter in a league like this and I could win. I think generally though, in keeper and in mono leagues of this size, everyone's going to have a flaw or a hole coming out of the auction. They're going to have a position where they're rolling someone who maybe doesn't play enough. I mean, Kemp could be on the big side of a platoon at second base, but he could also just be a bench guy that makes a couple starts per week at multiple positions like that could that could play out too I, that that shouldn't sink you i think the the interesting thing here for me tim anderson at 25 you know he's just a, a difficult player for me to figure out because i didn't see anything quite as good as last year coming i don't think anybody necessarily did but there's obviously a really nice set of tools there the lineup around him is getting better uh was, was he a target for you? Is that a guy that you, you really wanted to, to have because he can be a positive contributor in every single category? Uh, or was that just a case where bidding just happened to kind of fall that way and it made sense? He, it was an ad price acquisition that gave me some steals. You know, there are cheaper guys like Adamus that I liked that would have given me some money to spend in, elsewhere. But um, and I know that Anderson stopped stealing in the second half a little bit, but I do think he'll steal at least 15 bags this year, and I wanted that. I think he'll play a lot. I think he'll be a volume guy. He's too young, uh, I think, to sort of consider uh, injury risk very high. So it kind of glued my staff together. I did want Bo Bichette there uh, at similar values on my sheet, but Bo Bichette went for $32 
which was, you know, I had Anderson and Bobuchet like right next to each other at around 25. So once he went for 32, I thought, hey, I'm getting a guy who could do similar things uh, for seven dollars cheaper. Um, so I, I, I don't I don't hate that one. Um, in fact, I like that one uh, enough. You know, it's it's more the the Dozier Lau uh, decision I think that I regret the most. If there's one decision. Yeah, I think everybody comes away with at least one thing sort of like that. And the thing you have to keep in mind when you're reviewing auction results, the order in which the players are thrown, especially in the middle and back third of the auction, is really important. You know, I just I think it gets increasingly important the further you go into the auction. So you're going to see things that look like really good, like nice values because people didn't have money left. Like that's just the way it was. Everybody in the room wanted to bid more, but they, they couldn't. It was just the way 10 of those teams came together. And actually that is something that I thought about uh, more this time because, you know, I, in the past I've been like, Oh, I don't want dollar players. But you, if you actually look at dollar players, especially dollar outfielders and dollar utility type players, there's a lot of value in them. So I'm really happy with Kyle Lewis and Kristen Stewart for a dollar. Uh, each and you can look around and find other dollar type players that like the line of shields for a dollar alex gordon for two uh brian goodwin for one um you know uh Derek fisher who was on all my lists as somebody i liked uh because of his uh, exit velocity and his sprint speed uh Derek fisher for a dollar uh aaron hicks for a dollar uh chad pinder cameron maven they're these are you know they're not studs jared kelenich for two dollars so like there's a lot of value in the one and two dollar players and i didn't want to uh, leave too much money there so what did happen with dozier is lao kind of went in the time when people have money and were spending in the middle uh dozier was my hammer so when i passed on lao uh dozier was the last uh piece that um, that I could get. So passing on Lau got me Lourdes Gurriel Jr. for 15, which I really like the Gurriel buy. So it is not, you're right, it is not just I passed on Lau and spent the money on Dozier. It's I passed on Lau, spent the money on Gurriel, and then had enough money for the hammer on Dozier because the Dozier was the last 25 homer hitting regular uh, on the board when I got him. So maybe I overpaid a dollar or two because I used my hammer, but I, I kept a hammer uh, and used him on Dozier because I wanted the power because I had built a lot of speed. Um, so there's that. But then like sitting next to Brett Sarah was really interesting too because we had opposite uh, um, cadences in terms of building the team. He went really hard at the beginning uh, and had no money in the middle. So Brett Sarah spent $34 on Alex Bregman. $33 on Ad- Adalberto Montesi and $27 on Xander Bogarts, $25 on sale and $20 on Clevenger. And he did that in the first, before the first break, you know? So he'd spent $45, uh, 60 so $105. Uh, he, he'd spent $139 before the first break. And by that point, I had Jose Ramirez and... I don't know, maybe Tim Anderson. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, tr- I threw Jose Barrios kind of late. So, uh, you know, so what happened then is I kind of dominated the, 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 the sort of second and third round players. That's why I have Roman Laureano for $25, Eddie Rosario for $23, Gurriel for $15, Tim Anderson for 25 
and uh, you know uh, had enough money for Sean Murphy at eleven. So and had enough money to kind of buy those mid-round pitchers. And he was piecing out on all that with his extreme stars and scrubs. Now, he came back at the sort of nine, four, five, nine dollar level, which I don't have a lot of players in there other than Means and Turnbull. And he spent nine dollars on Brett Gardner and fourteen dollars on Mark Canna and nine dollars on Anthony Santander and four dollars on Jacoby Jones. And there's some good buys in there. But what I wanted to make sure was that I wasn't buying at the $2 level because there is money at the $1 level. So we got back at the $1 and $0 level, we were actually competing again for players. And uh, like he was mad that I got Chassin and Edwards uh, right before him in the, um, in the reserve pick. Uh, we were both in, uh, you know, we were both throwing similar players in like Kyle Lewis and Kristen Stewart. Uh, he had Clint Frazier for $3. And he said the next day that that was, re- that was a regret of his because there was so much value in the dollar players. Why did he spend three on, on Frazier? So um, it was funny to see, see that cadence in, 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 in effect where it's like, I was bidding, then he was bidding, then I was bidding, then he was bidding, but then we both came back for dollar days. Yeah, it's it's funny how it comes back around. And I think depending on how many auctions you've been in, maybe you've been in every position as far as how your spending has gone over the course of a four or five hour auction where sometimes you've spent really aggressively and early like Brett Sayer did in this particular auction. That's what I did in the NL too. I spent a lot early and sitting around waiting through the mid-tiers is actually it, it's painful yeah because you you really don't know if the values are going to be on your numbers maybe above your numbers people are going to overpay or if they're going to be below and I, I just think the the most challenging thing as you as you sit and wait is to not talk yourself out of the strategy that you've already implemented like you don't want to not sit start there spending again and yeah and like and overspend because if you see if you see a player you really like and he's three or five bucks undervalued, maybe it's like an eighteen to twenty-four dollar player, a good player that can help you a lot. And you're sitting there and you're saying, I can't spend another I can't spend another eighteen, can't spend another twenty, whatever that number is, and you you do it, you're screwed. Like you you can actually overspend in the stars and scrubs model to the point where you end up too thin in the back end and you're you're chasing maybe six or seven dollar day as players instead of three four or five like I, I think five is about as many as you can get away with and this these rooms the labor rooms in particular tend to be pretty predictable from year to year like i've i've felt like this auction and it's kind of like being in a home league for me now because i've been in it for a while i just look at it and i have a feel for what just about everybody in the room wants to do but i also have a good sense that people aren't going to stray too far from their valuations. And unless valuations start to change dramatically from player to player, like sitting around that table, I don't think I have a whole lot to worry about. I don't think I'm going to be caught off guard by what people are willing to pay for certain types of players in this particular auction. I think that's what's made me so comfortable having a really firm plan going into these auctions the last few years. Yeah, the one thing I would say a little bit uh, different than that is that, you know, there is some movement. So Jason Collette had a really interesting cadence that threw me off a little bit. He kept throwing down ballot, down ballot, political, Super Tuesday, uh, down, uh, what would I say? Like down, of, let, down list, down rank. Yeah, down list guys early. 
And it just threw me off a little. Like, he threw Chris Davis when we were bidding on, like, $30 players. And he threw CJ Crone early, and I was hoping to hold on to him till later and, and get him in at, like, 12 13 instead of paying full price at 15 like he got him for. Um, who else did he throw? He, he lost some, so I can't remember exactly. Uh, and that's why I didn't like the strategy so much, is that he lost some, and he lost some because everybody had money. I've always and, wondered, though, like, is it is it just the particular player that everybody likes, or is it everyone having money? Like, I kind of wonder if it's actually more the former than the latter. Like, the money's fixed. Everyone has the, the same budget going in. Like, there yes, used to be this everyone idea. Everyone feels differently about the level of money they've got at different points. Yeah, I guess I guess it can just make you it could just make you feel more comfortable spending when you have plenty left. If if those players come out when money starts to get tight, they might not go the extra dollar. I I, I could see it being that could be the case. Right. So I don't know. Chris Davis for nineteen is fine in the value sheet, but like he might have gone for fifteen later. Maybe, but if he goes, but at the same time, what what you do run the risk of if you hold players too long. And money's not coming out as much as it should be on early players. You end up with Tony Kevin second because you, yeah. Or sometimes this happened in the NL, like Reese Hoskins goes for twenty eight dollars. Someone goes way over because uh, of that thing you described earlier. Last player in a position group, last player in a category. Which I was just like, I'm not going to do that. That's right. how I. That's why I ended up with Camp, which it may not be a big deal in the end. He should. I think he's going to make the roster. He's going to play, but like, you're right. Like. Uh, uh, like I think Shed Long for ten was kind of like a big like a big deal. Um, and second base, man, I, if you're doing an AL only roster, an AL only thing, think about your second base plan. That's what I, that's the advice I'd come out of on this. It's just a very particular little thing, but second base is not like a sweet position. No, it's not as bad. In the door went for twelve, and he might lose his job. Like I literally heard that he has about a month into the season if he's doing as badly as what did a month into last season he's gone because he's been a replacement level player like two or three out of the last four seasons yeah i i, I think that's a weird thing to deal with too with rugged odor right now like he he's a, such a good compiler even when the batting average is bad that's been something that's kind of held it together for him in down years in the past but now and the now down year Solak. includes like being a two dollar player yeah now they have Solak. they have a guy who can just step in right away I like Solak a lot. He went for 11 bucks in this auction to Todd Zola. UT only for now, but could pick up multiple positions within the first few weeks of the season. And uh, Miguel Andujar, I, he kind of looked like he was going to do that, but we've got injuries now with both Stanton and Judge. So I think that might free up the DH spot, at least to begin the season, to the point where we have to wait a little longer for Andujar to start picking up position eligibility. Yeah, the, 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 the problem for me with Solak is he has a noodle of an arm. And he has a, his bricks for hands. So that combination is a little bit tough because that means to me, Danny Santana is going to take the, the job in, in center. And that it's going to be hard for Solok to take the job from Frazier at third if he, he can't throw it across the diamond. That means basically he's waiting for Ruji to, to fall apart, which, you know, high probability considering how close to replacement level uh, Odor has been. However, you know, not. You know, going for a dollar less than Odor doesn't, I don't think, reflect the risk of him not getting one of those jobs. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, anything else from this auction that, that really kind of stood out to you about the player pool or just about some strategies that you saw implemented? Any Anything else that's noteworthy? 
No, not really. Uh, nothing really surprised me. Uh, there is a, uh, there, like, if you look at reserve rounds, there's definitely like, a few different strategies. Tristan Kofroff went to the full Cardi and just only has relievers and starters on his uh, reserve thing. Um, then there's a lot of people who uh, took shots at uh, prospects, but the prospects more these days, the good ones, are going for dollars, you know, like... Um, uh, I can't did, did Joe Adele one for eight. Whew. Um, and, um, I don't know if Kyle Tucker counts anymore, but 14 Kellenich went for two. So like, you know, I think that's uh, a thing that's, that's, that people are doing is, is, you know, Jake Fraley three, I think he'll actually play, but you know, these, uh, the, 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 the good prospects are going for dollars. So I would actually do more of a buy a good prospect for for dollar days and then get like a usable veteran in reserves, uh, because the only good prospects that went in uh, reserves, uh, I don't even I don't really have a, a good Tristan McKenzie uh, on Cleveland, but he may not even come up this year. I got Randy Arazarena for for zero. Uh, I'm thinking he's an injury away. Um, Khalil Lee's a prospect. I saw him go in the reserves, but but you know the 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 quality of prospect is like I got like I'm more happy about Shasin Edwards and Allen than I am necessarily Arazarena, uh, because those guys will be very useful to me. And zero dollars, like having a zero dollar player, the thing that's unique about the zero dollar player is not that you own him; it's that you can put him in and you can reserve him. So to me, using that's the way the correct way to use zero dollars is to have players that you can plug and play. So Daniel Robertson for me is I'm hoping like a utility guy that I can plug in if somebody gets injured and he's going to have eligibilities all over uh, and he's an injury way. I, I'd rather have like somebody like Chad Pinder there, but Pinder went for dollars. Um, but I think the correct use of it, you know, like Willie Castro, Jason Collette got Willie Castro for zero dollars. I think that's a perfect place to have Willie Castro. Not really a prospect so much anymore these days. Probably not very high ceiling, but he's a shortstop for for zero. So there's an MI. He has Miles Straw at his MI position or at his maybe starting shortstop position, actually, uh, unless it's Nicky Lopez. So he's a little weak there at MI so having Willie Castro in reserve allows him to kind of uh, put someone in and take someone out so that's what i think is the, the best way to do reserves is have guys that will that you can plug and play that you can be find useful that you can demote when you need to yeah one key thing to keep in mind also as you look at these results labor has some very unique rules i think these are the original rotisserie rules in that you can't reserve a player that you purchased in the auction uh, unless they are sent to you the can't minors. reserve anybody even if you reserve a fab even if you buy an fab guy you can't reserve an fab guy right those guys have to go in your active lineup but if you bought someone in the auction they they can only go out of the lineup if you release them outright uh, you can reserve them if they're released by their major league team if they're IL'd by their major league team or if they're sent to the minors so it makes a lot more sense to me to spend a little bit in the end game on prospects or on an injured guy if you want to just open up a pitching spot and then to taxi the players in and out uh, in place of that injured player or demoted player until they're back and ready. Once they're back or once they're called up, then you have to go ahead and put them back in your lineup and use them. But those are you know high risk, high reward kinds of players like Andrew Vaughn for a dollar to Brett Sayre. That's a that's a great one dollar play. It's going to take an injury to Abreu or to Edwin Encarnacion for him to get a chance, which is not out of the question. If one of those guys gets hurt for a significant period of time. 
Andrew Vaughn might be ready this year. So you know, thinking kind of along those lines is is a good way to go. Um, and until that happens, he can go to his bench. He can throw in a corner guy, or he can move. If he has someone else in his active lineup who's eligible there, he can obviously shovel that player around and then pull somebody else up from reserves. So just a unique rule and unique twist that uh, makes roster construction like details really important. If you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically, a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. If the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. All right, let's move on to the NL-only auction. Uh, We talked about my plan a little bit going into it. Uh, Mostly, it was an attempt to replicate what worked for me. Uh, A year ago, I was a defending champion in the league, and Stars and Scrubs went extremely well, in part because of those minor league players. I bought a few minor league players in the auction, Keston Hira, Austin Riley in particular, uh, hit on Hinjin Ryu cheap last year. That obviously helped as well. But going real top-heavy and and filling it in with high-risk, high-reward plays late definitely paid off in a big way. There was one example, Luis Urias, last year. He was he was that second baseman I had to chase. You mentioned that I didn't have a second baseman late in the auction last year. It didn't really work out with him, but two out of three in that case I think was pretty good, especially with Hira being as great as he was once he got up and got that opportunity in Milwaukee. So the thing that surprised me the most in reviewing what I did last year was seeing that I had thrown $15 at Corey Knable. Like I had Kenley Jansen and Corey Knable and Knable gave me almost nothing. So I had two closers last year. It didn't work out at all. Uh, and yet here, here I go. So you did it again. I did it again. <laughs> I, I was still throwing you got my again too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm running it back. A lot of, a lot of holdovers from, from last year's team. A lot of guys uh, want another ring, but uh, well, I, I, I spent a lot early as I tend to do. It, it doesn't always work out that way, but it certainly worked out on Friday night. Ronald Acuna goes for 42 in this one. Max Scherzer for 34. And Fernando Tatis Jr. somehow ended up on my team at 31. So I think out of the first eight players nominated, I bought three. And one of them was Tatis, which if you said we're going to simulate the NL labor auction 100 times, I don't think any of those simulations would have put Tatis on my team. No. And I came running into the room and was like, you got Tatis? And you're like, what? What's going on? What? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, what happened? I was just bidding. Yeah. I didn't know what we were bidding on. Yeah, right. Everybody else wanted him, so I just kept bidding. <laughs> and then Baez went for? So Javier Baez, Gray, Gray Albright from Razzball was sitting right next to me. And maybe like, I don't know, 10 or 15 players later, it wasn't long after Tatis sold. He threw Baez at 30 and got crickets. So I just I just kind of stopped for a second. I was like, wow, thanks. Thanks, Gray. Like That's 
that was that was the way to make me feel a lot better about Tatis because as I've said on this show, like it's not that I don't like Fernando Tatis. It's that I don't like spending a first round pick on him because of the way the draft works. And we had a feeling that the the difference between Tatis and Baez would be reflected by a much smaller difference in auction dollars than it is in draft position. There's about a two-round difference in terms of where they go in drafts, but a $1 difference in an NL-only auction is almost nothing. Like, So I, I think I'm, I'm actually pretty happy with that buy, even though I know he comes with a lot of risk. He's the kind of guy that could either crush it and actually make that value, or the back could be a problem, the average could dip. There's, there's any number of ways this can go wrong just as it can go right. Um, but the, the way the whole thing came together, and we'll kind of break it down part by part, I think I've managed to balance out some of his risk with some kind of steady Eddie types who are a bit boring, who should play a lot and should stabilize uh, a lot of my categories. Josh Hader, or say Josh Hader was a, a key buy in this one. He went for $21. So I went Scherzer at 34 Hader at 21 Jansen at 17 I had all three of those guys at the first break. So a lot of spending early, and I had to go through that process of just sitting around and waiting a long time before people were ready to start buying players that cost 10 bucks or less, because that was it. Like I'd pretty much spent as much as I could. Couldn't get Conforto for 25. Couldn't get Schwarber for 23. Couldn't, couldn't be in on uh, Adam Eaton for 18. Couldn't be in on Azuna for 24 or Garcia, Garcia for 19. Well, that's a little bit expensive, I feel like, actually. <laughs> I, mean, I like him, but yeah, I think I was in at like 14 or 15. Oh, you were in on him a little bit. Yeah, because that was the, the only other double-digit player I bought was uh, AJ Pollock for $13. You were looking for a little bit of steals and a little bit of power from somebody at that at that $13 to $15 level. Yep, that was the that was the last expensive player I was going to get. Um, and so Omar you were in on Adam Eaton for eight, until you got to 18 Yep, I was in on Eaton. I was in on Garcia. You, should, you chose not to do Shogo Akayama for 12 or did that happen after that? Mm, trying to remember the timing on that. I think I bid on him uh, probably high single digits. I was probably eight, eight or nine bucks. Mm-hmm. I, I think the Reds outfield playing time is tough. It's just a, it's, it's nasty to figure out right now. I love Trent Grisham for seven, but I guess um, that might have happened after you got Pollock for thirteen. Yeah, I think that was after I got Pollock. It may have been around the time I got Ender Inciarte for seven. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing is, is like as I started to round it out, I was kind of surprised looking at where my categories were projected to be. You I'm fell down speed on heavy. Yeah, You're no, speed I, heavy. I'm speed heavy, and I'm I'm a little power light, which is is kind of a strange that, place that, to be. That in. happened after NCRT. That's why I think maybe Grisham instead of NCRT might have been a better fit. Yeah, I, I think that that was exactly where I, I looked at it and said, you know what, I love the price. I think the player is really good. But if I had a guy that was going to hit me a cheap 20 home runs there instead, that would probably fit this roster better. So, you know, we could trade. We can we can move out of excess, and there's probably some ways to do that. Maybe Jansen's a guy that I trade. Um, but we'll, we'll do the pitching first. Scherzer, Hater, Jansen, Carlos Martinez for eight, Pablo Lopez for seven. That, that's 100% auction dynamics. That was after the last break. I had the hammer. I sat down, and I... I had scribbled out all the players I was interested in, had about $40 left to fill, I want to say, seven spots. So it's a little more than $5 per roster spot. And I just told myself, like, I'm going to get these guys. And I went out and I got them because I, I had the control of the board. And I think it worked out okay. But That's how I felt about Means and Turnbull. I was like, that's who I want. 
Okay, yeah. Got him. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been targeting Lopez for as long, but at least there was a a moment where I said, okay, this is the best I can do with these resources. So Lopez at seven, Desclafani for five, Josh Lindblom for five, Ross Stripling for four, and Mackenzie Gore for three. So I, I got my my prospect who I can send down and I can stream a few pitchers off my bench. Uh, Ryan Helsley, Robert Stevenson uh, being the, the primary two. Richard Rodriguez isn't on my roster. He's listed on the grid, but uh, I didn't actually draft him. So just a, a friendly head, the Pirates reliever. Not a bad reserve what, pick. Who is that supposed to be? Yeah, who is that supposed to be? That is... I think that's Jairo Munoz. Because uh, you need another infielder. No, wait. I, I, no, 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 no. It's it's Ronnie Rodriguez. That's who it is. It's Ronnie Rodriguez. Oh, another infielder. Yeah, a diff, different infielder. So where is he though? I think they. Milwaukee. I think it's. I think, yeah, I think it's just an error that they typed him in. But oh, that's a good one for Milwaukee because the only thing I was going to say. Oh, I'm I'm jumping ahead to hitters again. No, that's all right. The only thing I was going to say is that you have like three slots to fill coming out of the draft in terms of injured or. Uh, minor league players. You have Luis Urias, Alec Baum, who I really like, but you know I don't know how much. Uh, I don't think he's going to make the team out of spring necessarily. And then you also have Dylan Carlson, who may actually make it out of the spring. I mean, he's 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 doing really well, and they kind of have a need there. Yeah, they definitely opened up a spot by. Well, I, I can shuffle things around too. I can move Garrett Hampson into the outfield off of off of second base. If Carlson happens, but you'll probably need Hampson at second because Urias won't be there. Right. Urias shouldn't miss too much time. So I, I, may, I might be a little light on playing time at the very top of the season. But it's interesting to have Ronnie Rodriguez and Jed Lowry on your bench there uh, and Cole Tucker because you have three shots at someone who could be playing early. Um, you know, Ronnie Rodriguez could be kind of playing for Urias a little bit and not, not directly at the same position, but, you know, soaking up some of that time. Yeah, I, I think his chances of sticking on the opening day roster go up with Urias potentially out for opening day. Yeah, uh, so we'll get more details on that probably the next few weeks. I thought Cole Tucker was a worthwhile dart throw. I mean, I, I look back at what he did AAA last year, and it, mm-hmm. it doesn't jump off the page. Two sixty one, three forty six, four thirteen in the year of the rabbit ball. Uh, you project that out over a full season, probably fifteen homers, maybe twenty steals. It's cheap speed, and I, I like I like this version of the Pirates front office much better than the old version. No disrespect intended to the members of that front office, but I, I just get the sense now that the Pirates are going to run things in a way that makes a lot more sense. Adam Frazier, to me, is the kind of guy that just moves around and plays all over, and it would make a lot more sense to figure out what they have in Cole Tucker and to let him play every day and put him up the middle with Kevin Newman and just say, Adam Frazier's our super utility guy. We're going to let Cole Tucker play. People were excited about him when he got called up last year, in part because of that speed. So and, I don't think he's necessarily a great player, but I think he fits this format really well. And you made some you made some shots like that last year that really paid off for you. Right. So part of the, the, the big team. hits last year, yeah, it was Kevin Newman last year who got in reserves and Howie Kendrick. Both of those guys, you know, Kendrick, had good skills and was just hurt in 2018. So Ryan that's Rodriguez why and Jed Lowry a little bit like that. Yeah, Jed Lowry. I guess if you were just saying I'm, I'm really trying to replicate last year, Jed Lowry is my attempt to unearth this year's Howie Kendrick. 
Yeah. Because this time last year, we would have said, oh, Howie Kendrick, where is he going to play on this team? They're loaded. Right. He's old. He's been hurt for most of a year. I mean, Howie Kendrick only played 40 games in 2018. So I think there were major doubts about how much he was going to contribute a year ago. And Jed Lowry played, I think, nine games in his first season with the Mets. But we're talking about a guy who in 2018 hit 23 homers, drove in 99 runs, hit 267, was a big part of the Oakland order. I think there's still useful skills there that even if he's a part-time player like Kendrick was for most of the last season, that plays really well in the league this deep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that the, the reliever shots you took were really great and reserve Ryan Helsley and Robert Stevenson. Like I've been hearing out of St. Louis camp that there's a chance that Helsley's the closer to begin the, se- the season. That'd be huge if it played out that way for me because it would definitely give you some trade opportunities. It would open up the door. Yeah, I probably, if I had to guess what I would want to do, I might want to hold Helsley and trade away Kenley Jansen just because of my my power deficiencies. I don't think trading Ryan Helsley as a newly minted closer is going to give me the impact power bat I'm looking for. But uh, Rysel Iglesias has seemed like a, you know a, a, a spot of, you know like one more blown save away from losing his job in the past. I mean we have, yeah, I think he blew more saves than anybody last year as you can and you can easily see it in his losses total. He had like thirteen losses or something. So Iglesias doesn't seem that um, cemented in there either. And as exciting as Lorenzen is as a possible replacement, uh, we haven't really seen closer like results out of Lorenzen yet and. There's still the possibility that you use him as the 26th man, as a guy who um, is listed as an outfielder and who can pitch for them, or vice versa. I mean, there's there's um, different ways they can game and use him, and those don't necessarily lead themselves to maybe being the closer. I don't know. I, like it's a bit of a, a guess as who's to, who behind uh, Iglesias, but I I think that um, it could be Stevenson. I think Lorenzen's versatility is something that makes him less likely to land in the ninth inning role because yeah. you want to use him when you need him just overall like because there's so many different ways you can justify putting him into a game you don't want to if you're going to use a traditional closer you don't want him to be that guy Stevenson can be that guy so uh, that, that that's where my interest was in him I, I just think it of, of the two he makes a little bit more sense to me not that Lorenzen couldn't do it just trying to get inside the mind uh, of of the Reds and say okay maybe this is the best way to handle this situation. Uh, Monty Harrison was my other reserve dart. I, I just think with Monty Harrison, it's tools, all tools. Um, I forget if I've said it on this show or if it was on uh, the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast. I know uh, Nando Defino is a big Monty Harrison guy. He kind of just loves all Marlins actually, but <laughs> but with Harrison, I I just think we we might be discounting the fact that he was good enough to go play college football at Nebraska as like a four-star recruit to go play like wide receiver. He was going to be that good uh, where he might, he might be an NFL player if he weren't in the Marlins system right now. And I think when you have two sports, you play that well for as long as he did it. I think that can kind of stretch out that learning curve a little bit as you move through the minors. He's had a couple of injuries as well. I think that's what kept him. Lorenzo Cain had a similar story. Yeah, it's just, if you don't specialize, yeah. it's just going to take you a little bit longer to make adjustments. And if you have really good athletic tools, which he does, uh, the payoff can be big. I just think the Marlins—they got becoming more about athleticism, you know. 
the Marlins have a ton of outfielders. They've got a, a lot yeah, of different many ways. Good they outfielders. There. <laughs> that's the real. That's the true. That's the real question. I, I think with the way they're built right now, I mean, Lewis Brinson probably gets one more shot. Monty Harrison gets a look this year, and Jesus Sanchez probably gets a look this year. And Corey Dickerson's not going to be there all season. Harold Ramirez is a righty. You don't have to play him every day. VR can move back into the infield if they need him to. They can move him all over. Got Matt Joyce. Garrett Cooper's hurt all the time. Everyone loves Garrett Cooper. I, I think he's okay. He's just a guy. Like I, I, I don't see enough there to prevent Monty Harrison from playing every day when they want him to play every day this season. And also, Cooper's like, like got to be over thirty by now, or twenty eight or twenty nine. Like he's not a he's not a future piece. No, he's just I, a guy they're running out there right now. No, he's so he's the kind of guy that gets flipped somewhere in a minor trade, gets DFA'd and traded potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to say something about catcher strategy in both of ours. Um, my, you have my either my favorite or second favorite catcher tandem. Uh, you and Mike Gianella, I think, are my favorite because you spend eight dollars on Posey and ten dollars on Narvaez, and you know it's not just the particulars where I like that Narvaez is going to this nice park in Milwaukee. I like that Buster Posey is now a year removed from hip surgery and, you know, the look the look he's giving out of camp is a lot more fresh and and youthful than he's looked in a while. So I could see him hitting, you know, 12 to 14 homers and hitting 280 again, which would be an incredible value I think at $8. Um, but and then Mike Janela has Wilson Ramos for 10 and Will Smith for 12. Um he spent more, and he so he got more. So it's hard, but you know, I like, I like the, but I like the way that you built them, which is I like the mid round, the mid round. I like the mid level catchers because, um, you know, I've a I've seen a study into mono league one dollar catchers, and they're like the worst players in the universe. I mean, like in the player universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not not in the not, not like in, in the, the actual universe, the physical universe. <laughs> like they're better than me. Uh, but dollar dollar catchers are like the worst uh, idea you can have in fantasy baseball, I think. Um, and just look at the dollar catcher tandems that are out there. Lenny Milnick has Francisco Cervelli for I don't is he on a team? Marlins, I think. So he's like the third catcher for the Marlins. Yeah, Alfaro's hurt right now. So uh, all right, so that's maybe not the worst idea. But Kirk Casale and, and Francisco Cervelli, good luck. Um, uh, Gray Albright has Matt Weeders and Austin Hedges. Matt Weeders is not signed. Did, he didn't go back to St. Louis. Uh, he went back well, to St. Louis. Okay, behind very Yacht recently Molina. though. Yeah, uh, Austin Hedges. I guess he's the starter there. But Mejia went for seven. Hedges is so limited offensively uh, that if Mejia can make any advances, um, you know, with the glove, he'll he'll uh, he'll take his job. So, uh, who was another uh, another cheap uh, tandem? Oh, in my league, uh, there's always somebody who punts it and does like you know spends two dollars on the two. Um, uh, who is that in our league? Uh, Chance Cisco for two and Garrett Stubbs for one oh. to Ambrosius and Child. And Garrett Stubbs is the third catcher for the Astros, but he's also eligible somewhere else. So this guy's really banking. He's the 26th man uh, there, which I don't think it is because it's. I think that's Miles Straw. Um, so I just think that those are terrible. I don't want either of those players on my team. Um, a, a closer Steve Garden went a little bit higher with Alex Avila and Pedro Severino at five dollars combined, but those are both second catchers. I mean, second catchers do not play that much. 
I don't mind Dave Adler's buy of $1 for Reese McGuire because Reese McGuire is left-handed um, and played a little bit better than Danny Jansen last year. Uh, so that could be more of a 50-50 platoon. And he then he augmented that with Robinson Chirinos for ten dollars. So I just think two like a two one dollar catcher, you just blown a hole in your in your in your entire roster. Um, and it's not that expensive. Like I got Murphy, Sean Murphy and Jason Castro for nineteen bucks combined. And you know there are some duos that maybe I'd rather have than that. Um, that might be a little cheaper. Um, but I don't really see them right now. I guess Jason Collette being the closest, like Danny Jansen for seven, Austin Allen for two. But that's still a backup catcher he's got there. So I'm, you know, I'm a guy who wants the starter catcher, and Jason Castro's the starter, uh, and Sean Murphy has some uh, has some potential. Sorry, I almost said it. Um, and, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. No, he does. Yeah. Okay, he he does though. Like Sean Murphy's a good catcher to think about if you kind of punt catcher even in a one catcher league because if it doesn't work out in a single catcher league. Dump him. Just move oh, on. Oh, Murphy, Murphy, Kelly, and Jansen are my twelve-team mono league catcher catchers. Yeah, I, I, that's perfectly fine because if it doesn't work out, there's going to be someone who emerges to be useful on the waiver wire in those leagues. There usually is a pop-up guy. Think about Chirinos. He was nobody, and now he's somebody. You know, and catchers uh, peak later, develop later. Their offense comes later. Uh, you know, they're the they're the pitchers of the hitting. I mean, Elias Diaz, if he starts playing four times a week in Colorado and actually oh, yeah. can hit a little bit, he could become a mixed league option later this year. I wouldn't go near him right now in a 12-team league with one catcher, but there are paths. Like this time last year, no one cared about Jason Castro, and he had a great year, great stat cast numbers, and I, I like him this year too. He's hitting rockets in, in, in spring, so... Um, I wanted to find where Tom, what Tom Murphy went for. Nobody cared about Tom Murphy. Nine dollars. <laughs> $9. Yeah. I, I do like not having a gaping hole in both catcher spots. I think you can get away with one. One, maybe. But two in a mono league, if you if you punt it completely, you might come up really light in playing time. It's it's hard to find good ones, but I felt like the prices were pretty good for both Narvaez and Posey. I mean, Narvaez is gonna probably if you said forecast the number of starts Narvaez gets compared to Manny Pena in that situation, I would say it's going to be about 100 to 62 if they both stayed healthy all year. Um, so Narvaez is going to come out of some games for defensive purposes. Mm-hmm. He may occasionally play a little first base. But when he plays, when he starts, he's going to Good hit value. near the heart of the order, and he's going to a more hitter-friendly environment. So mm. I think he's got a shot to repeat what he did last year. And the Posey health is a huge part of, of why I liked him. I think... 280 with a dozen homers is absolutely within his range. But last year, he fell out of mixed league viability last year. I think he gets back to that uh, at some point this season. I'm trying to think if there's anything else about this auction that really jumped off the page to me as it happened. Paul Goldschmidt at 24 to Mike Gianella felt like a really good buy. Just kind of mm-hmm. looking through the teams. like I, I know Christian he's not Walker went for 23. Dynamics were in play there. Walker came out a little late. Hammer. It was it was it was a little bit it was it wasn't quite a hammer situation, but it was a this is the last guy who starts who hits the ball hard. Uh-huh. Um, so instead of going for seventeen or eighteen, it was like, well, I got to spend it somewhere. I, I think that was sort of the the logic with with Lenny on that. Ariel line. Cohen was actually uh, was talking to me about trying to do that sort of thing on purpose, 
um, create Christian Walker situations. And what you can do, and it's a little bit tough to do, but you can maybe just, I created a list of tier busters. And so what I looked for were players where I could, that I thought were at the bottom of the tier. And what I could do was skip one that player that I didn't like. So um, let's, I don't, I don't know, you know, Walker's there. I, I mean, I love your belt for nine, so he's kind of screwing us up a little bit. But let's say, uh, <laughs> let's say you have Hosmer and Walker similarly, but you're a little bit worried about Walker. So you, you, you throw Hosmer while Walker's still on the table. You get Hosmer for 16, and you create un, uh, unnatural or uh, you, create, you create scarcity for Christian Walker. By pushing up the last, the second to last one. Yeah, you 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 take the you take the last one you like, and that way you also have some certainty about what you're going to do, right? If you don't like Walker and Hosmer at the, at the bottom of the tier, and you don't get Hosmer for the number you want, now you know, okay, I'm getting a cheap one here. So I think that's where your your Tony Kemp buy for two is actually a sign of good discipline because you didn't chase something, you didn't chase Shed. I long. could have gone to like twelve on long because I because I screwed up the loud thing. I, I mean, I could have. I was thinking about it, but it was like. In my value sheet, the highest value for for long was like seven, I think. And that would have cost you probably two to three of the players you got later who you really like. So yeah. I think the dollars become a lot more precious late. I don't think they matter as much early. I, I, I really don't. And I think that's reflected in how aggressive I tend to be at the top of the pool. Like if, a, if I, mean, I bought a Cunha never... for 44 instead of 42, would it really have mattered that much? Probably not early because I can I can make a small adjustment here and there along the way to maybe recoup that $2 somewhere else. Uh, but if I overpay in the back third of the auction, if I went 15 on AJ Pollock instead of 13, $2 at that time would have had a greater impact on the rest of my plan than $2 did at the very beginning. Yeah, you have your you have your own dollar dollar scarcity as it's running out. That mm-hmm. that sort of changes things. Uh, but I, I, you know, I did try to identify some of those, and I tried to do it. It's just hard to add that strategy to everything else you're trying to do. You know, uh, but I, I did just have a list of names that I thought were at the bottom of, of tiers, and like when I thought maybe I could jump ahead to the bottom of a tier, I thought, you know, I think I might have done that once or twice, um, and driven the price up on on some other guys. But that's that's how Christian Walker happens for sure. Yeah, and I think I mentioned Hoskins a bit earlier. Uh, if you see his name on this grid and you see the big price, 28, he was late. He came out when there just wasn't a lot of power left. So if you had a lot of money, and I think I think Sean and Greg did have a good bit of money. I think for a little while, we were both sitting one and two in terms of budget remaining. Yeah. And that got in my head a little bit, just because knowing Greg is a Brewers fan like I am, I thought they were waiting on Urias. So I was very carefully kind of watching what they were doing with their extra money. Austin Riley came up a few picks before, or a few nominations before Urias did. He sold at five, and I was worried if I went to six or eight that I was going to chip away at my end game too much. I was going to miss out on Urias, and I was going to miss out on some of those pitchers I was going to go so after. You went to bomb for two instead. Yeah, bought the future. The bomb and Jer- Jerko for, for combined four dollars. Yeah, I, I thought Jerko at two was actually. Pretty Where good. Is he? is he in Milwaukee too? Yeah, he's in Milwaukee too. I mean, he's a righty, so he could lose playing time to Sogard and could lose playing time to Brock Holt, who are both lefties. But Jed Jerko is not quite as bad against righties as people think. 
And I, I think he's going to, as long as he's healthy, it's going to give me an easy 5 to $7 worth of value from that spot. And One thing that I like, too, in a mono league is, you know, you can kind of circle around a position or two on the offensive side, handcuffing them almost like you might with a closer in a mixed league. So if you look at your Luis Urias for five, Jed Jerker for two, and um, uh, Ronnie Rodriguez in the reserve round um, as a whole, you you spent um, what seven bucks? Seven bucks, and you're very likely to get a starter all year cobbled together. Uh, you know, in different times, different guys are playing, but uh, you know, you're very likely to get for your seven dollars like a ten to twelve dollar, you know, okay starting type player. And there's a shot, it's a low probability outcome, but there is a shot that two of those guys could play together because of the way that particular team That's right. handles positions. Right. So that was that was kind of on my mind as well. But yeah, the the Alec Bohm thing, that was part of the plan. If someone else had pushed him up too high, I might have thrown Cabrian Hayes in there for the same purposes. I think the problem with Hayes is that he hasn't shown as much in-game power yet. That could yeah. still happen, though. I mean, he's a great he's defender. He's a tweak away from being really exciting, I think. Yeah, like he's a great defender, so that's going to carry his playing time. He's got a good hit tool. He's got a pretty patient eye at the plate. So he, he made sense. Like he was, he was the other guy I had in my pocket. I, I, you mentioned Dylan Carlson at three. I actually thought Dylan Carlson should have gone for closer to six or seven. I just, I'm, not, I'm not worried about him getting called up. I'm sure he's part of Fabapalooza 2020 in May. At the latest, and we might see him before that. Like they, yeah. they didn't really replace Marcelo Zuna. We've talked about our skepticism uh, when it comes to Tommy Edmond as a, an everyday player, albeit one who probably moves around and plays multiple spots because he was never as productive as a hitter as he was in his big league debut last year. That's not a good sign. That generally doesn't yield a player who comes back the next year and continues to play at that Who's level. Who's that you're talking about? Edmond. Yeah, yeah, especially at his age. Yeah, just that that to me was found money for them last year, and it's not going to be. Sorry, I was just kind of like looking at your roster and kind of being jealous of the shots at uh, extreme potential, you know, like with Baum and Carlson. It just hasn't, it doesn't work out for me. I think my mindset, it's funny. Uh, Laura Michaels, you know, may have influenced me more than I thought. Like, he, he was always like really good at finding veterans boring veterans and, and and playing time um were places were in places that people weren't spending so like to me like i might as well have dedicated the tony kemp for two kyle lewis for one and Kristen stewart for one to him because instead of dylan carlson and alec Baum, i got three guys who were going to play but their upside I mean, maybe lewis maybe stewart Maybe Kemp can steal 25, but their upside's not really, you know, in the same ballpark. Kyle Lewis sneakily, I think, has that, though. Like, I I think he's he's maybe the outlier of that group. Like, Kyle Lewis, if it weren't for the injuries, I think we would be looking at him a lot differently. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I just think injuries drag down prospect values so much that we forget how tooled up some guys are when they first break into pro ball. I mean, look at what he was doing last year, just in that little bit of time he was up with Seattle. Oh, Exit velocity, the, 90.3. Yeah. You know, the stat cast numbers look good. Yeah, he struck out 38 
percent of the time, but that's just a late season call up. I mean, Aaron Aaron Judge did that when Aaron Judge got that little taste of the big leagues a few years ago. He struck out just as much. I I think when you can when you consider the amount of development time that Kyle Lewis has lost. I, I, I like him quite a bit. I mean, I, there's I, a lot of ways it can play out. They, maybe they could send him to AAA for a little while. But for a dollar in an AL-only league, absolutely. Yeah, and I got Jake Bowers in reserve. So, you know, I wouldn't be that mad if they sent him to AAA. I think they will play him. Um, and I talked to a couple of beat writers to, to sort out the Mariners depth chart in particular. Um, there's always a couple teams where I like basically almost sit down with a beat writer and like, just talk to them about the depth chart. <laughs> um, and this year was the Mariners and Rays for sure. But, um, uh, uh another thing, uh, pops out to me, uh, when I look at this, you know, I, I got Ramon Laureano for 25, uh, which may, some people are like, nice buy. And other people are like, you went pay too much. I get it. Um, and, but Oscar Mercado went for 24. And I much prefer Ramon Laureano. I don't know if I've made that clear. I don't think I have. Ramon Laureano runs faster, hits the ball harder. I mean, that's a... I don't know if I need to say much more, right? That's all you really need. I don't think their plate disciplines approaches are that different. Mercado maybe have a slightly better hit tool or at least contact tool uh, than Laureano, but Laureano's pretty patient. Uh, and has found his way to kind of wait wait out the low and away slider that was kind of a problem for him. So, um, you know, I much prefer Loriano in that situation. And I think it, it it's it's another thing that I wanted to take away. I said, think about your second base strategy. Think about your stolen base strategy. Think about your stolen base strategy. Think about where they're coming from. Think about it. Identify late stolen bases. Identify mid guys that you'd pay for, top guys. Because what I did was, and I've never done this before, I had five auction values coming into this. For every player, I ran ATC. Uh, no, I ran uh, the bat in the Fangraphs calculator. I ran uh, the axe. This is pretty funny that I, they all have these names, right? I ran the bat, <laughs> the axe, uh, which is the baseball prospectus one. Um, I ran, I got custom values from ATC from Errol Cohen. Um, I, I got custom ADP from him. Um, and uh, what I did one more, I forget what it was. Uh, I had like four or five. I think I had a mock in there. Um, and so I had these five values. And I just thought it was amazing to look at these values. As much as I think these things are tight and there aren't that much of, much of a range in values, uh, when I was looking at this, I realized there are there are, there are are players that have uh, large variance. I actually did one column was a standard deviation between those uh, values because I want to know who are high variance players and who are low variance players, right? Um, so I had this whole thing that had these five values in it and Loriano was on the higher end. Um, but, and, and the ax in particular, baseball perspectives is giving people, I think more stolen bases than I would, I would, um, assume is going to happen. Um, but what I'd noticed was the stolen base sources were getting the extra dollar a lot. And I don't know if that, you know, affected me to take Tim Anderson and Ramon Laureano on the higher end of my ranges because I had every player had a range. And maybe that's what affected me to make the Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers mistake, if you want to call it that, Um, you know, but at the same time, uh, I had the range. And so I I don't think that I went I didn't really go multiple dollars over or anything. Um, It's just that that's something I would think about going in. I don't think that I nearly, I, I, I thought about it enough. 
Uh, and I, I came out of here with, I think, enough power and speed. Uh, it's just, um, you know, did it cost me in places? And, you know, did it, is it going to work out? I don't know. But just think about your stolen base strategy for sure. And I think regardless of whether you're going to go stars and scrubs or more balanced, however you're going to actually build the roster, the earlier you can find those foundational pieces and just know, do I have in the NL, do I have Trey Turner or do I not? Or in the, the mm-hmm. AL, do I have Edelberto Mondesi or not? The sooner you know if you do or don't have those players, the sooner you can start to look at your pivot options. Okay, I don't have Edelberto Mondesi, so... I'm going to try and get two guys who I really like for 20 bags since I don't have the one guy who I really like try for and get 40. Two in Meadows, like uh, Clay Linkton. Right. And if you, you get Meadows out and the price goes too high, okay, I can't go to Meadows. Who's my fallback from Meadows? Yeah, I'll do Benintendi and uh, Robert, like uh, Ambrose's and Child did. Yeah. I think you have to be really good at thinking on the fly, but to make yourself a better thinker on the fly, do the prep work. Go through. The decision-making trees. I think that's a very good way to approach auctions and drafts. But you're going to find with auctions, you have a lot more flexibility. Uh, so many, so many solutions to your problem that you mm-hmm. can implement uh, as things play out. I do want to pause just for a brief moment to ask you to click into the show notes for today's episode and then follow the link that's there to a short survey. Well, you know a lot about Eno, including the story of Eno's middle name, but we definitely don't know anything about you. So there's a survey in there. It's 11 very simple questions. It'll take you less than a minute, and it'll just help us learn more about you as uh, loyal listeners to Rates and Barrels. We really appreciate that. Just go to the show notes for today's episode, and you can just click on the link uh, in there, and you also see the results uh, links for both the AL and NL labor auctions in there as well. So lots of good stuff in today's show notes. As always, you can reach us via email rates and barrels at theathletic.com, and you can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. Got a couple other fantasy baseball pods we've been running this season: fantasy baseball in 15 every morning, and the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast. New episodes of that drop on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Going back to our positional breakdown series on our next episode. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. Thank you.